accurate blue-collar theology to shield the mind, body, and spirit. This is Full Armor Radio. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Full Armor Radio, where we strive to present accurate blue-collar theology to shield the mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Brandon Lockridge, and today we are getting back into the Belgic Confession. We are now in Article 10. We've just spent two articles, Articles 8 and 9, on the Trinity, the uh, Article 8 was uh, a laying out of the Trinity, and then Article 9 was proof texts for the Trinity. And so if you have not listened to those episodes, please go back. You can pause this one, go back and listen to those previous episodes. Uh, today in Article 10, we are going to be talking about the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. And uh, Article 10 in the Confession is titled, the, uh, That Jesus Christ, so, excuse me, so here's the title, That Jesus Christ is True and Eternal God. Uh, and um, they, I have another, um, I think it's more of a modern um, version of the Confession, which also uh, retitles it saying, Of the Eternal Deity, of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, anyways, however you want to look at it, we are talking about the uh, eternal deity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, we get into the article, and we are going to read through it as we usually do, and then break it down. So, the article says the following. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity, not made nor created, for then he, he should be a creature, but he is co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the express image of his person and the brightness of his glory, equal unto him in all things. He is the Son of God, not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as these testimonies, when compared together, teach us. Moses says that God created the world, and John says that all things were made by the word, which he calls God. And the apostle, now remember, when uh, the ref when the reformers refer, refer to the apostle, they are referencing Paul. That was how they that was how they called Paul the apostle. So uh, the apostle says that God uh, made the worlds by His Son. Likewise, that God created all things by Jesus Christ. Therefore, it uh, it must follow that he who is called God, the word, the son, and Jesus Christ did exist at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says his going, his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And the apostle says he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. He therefore is that true eternal and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, 
and serve. All right, so let's break this down, starting at the top. So it says that we believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, divine nature is the only begotten son of God. What does that mean? Okay, what does it mean that Jesus is the begotten son of God? See, if we go to the dictionary, we look up begotten it has uh, has to do with procreation. So is that what this is that what the confession means? Is that what the scriptures mean? John three sixteen. If you're looking at a King James, it uses uh, or even New King James it uses the term begotten, the only begotten Son of God. So begotten is that what is being referred to? I mean, does this have to do with Jesus being created? No, of course not, because then the confession goes on to say that he's begotten from eternity, not made or created, because then he would be a creature, right? No, no, the confession confesses the eternal uh, deity of Christ. So what does that mean? Well, uh, the word begotten, if you uh, see it in the, uh, it's actually in the the, uh, King James, the NASB and the New King James uh, use the term only begotten. Well, the word there is actually a Greek word, uh, monogenous. I think, I think, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Greek scholars, please don't get mad at me. Uh, but that is the word that is being used there, monogenous. And really, it, when you look up that word and how it's, how it's used, how it's defined, it really has nothing to do in the, in the Greek that it has nothing to do with procreation. It is um, a reference to uh, something being unique in kind, uh, but also of the of the same essence or the same nature as the the thing it is, you know, quote unquote, begotten from. Right. So um, the the thing begotten is is of the same nature and kind as the or the same same nature in essence as the begetter. I, I suppose you could say <laughs> so. So what is being said then when it, when it talks about Jesus is the only begotten uh, son of God? Uh, well, it means that he is this, he is of the same essence and divine nature as God, the father, and he is unique in kind. He is uniquely God's son. You see, the Bible refers to us as believers as being sons of God, sons and daughters of God, but it refers to us a little bit differently. So I want to take us to Ephesians chapter one, and this is in verse five. And it says in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So though believers are called sons and daughters, we are only that by adoption. We are not begotten of God. You see, Jesus is uniquely God's son, begotten of the father. And we, as believers, are adopted into the family of God through Jesus, only because of Jesus. We pass through Jesus, who is heir to the throne 
as the only begotten son of God. He is uniquely God's son. He is heir to the throne, but we are called co-heirs with Christ at another place in scripture. And so we have those benefits. We, 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 share in the benefits of Christ uh, by adoption, not because we are uniquely God's sons and daughters, right? Only Christ is uniquely God's son. And so that is what is being referred to when the term begotten is used. It has nothing to do with procreation, uh, but it has everything to do with being unique in kind, but of the same essence and nature as the one that it's begotten of. So, um, and then it makes this important point in the confession where it says begotten from eternity. So it's not saying it, Debray is trying to clear up this point because many, uh, false teachers have, has, have grabbed onto this idea of begotten in terms of procreation. And they have said, Oh, see, the scriptures are testifying that Jesus actually was created and that he was not uh, eternal. And so um, the, the confession is, is making the point uh, that all the church fathers uh, in, in, within Orthodox Christianity have made is that no, Jesus is begotten from eternity. He was not made nor created. Uh, you know, this was kind of the idea with, um, with Arius back in the, the, uh, I think it was four, fourth century, uh, where there was uh, the council of Nicaea, where there was the big dispute with Arius and, and St. Nicholas. And, you know, Arius was essentially espousing that Jesus was actually kind of created, you know, God, the father sort of lopped off a, a par- part of himself. And, uh, and that was, that was Jesus. And so, um, uh, one thing to, I think to, I, I want to, you, so something to keep in mind, I, I just kind of thought of this too, is we're, is we're talking about the idea of begotten and begetting, and we're, we're going through, uh, terms. It, the Bible uses a lot of terms that are for our benefit of, of being able to understand better. Um, when, when God communicates, um, his communication is, is one of accommodation. <laughs> we, we need to remember that. Like God condescends and presents things to us in a way that is, is going to be more, um, palatable for us to understand and to, for, for us to to we 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 are not capable as the creature of completely wrapping our minds around and comprehending the things of the creator all right and so we we do need to keep that in mind um but uh the church fathers had condemned men like arius as heretics for this idea that jesus christ was somewhere along the way created. Uh, they affirmed the, in the Orthodox church has always affirmed that Jesus is eternally begotten. He's always been there. He wasn't made. He wasn't created. If he was, he'd be a creature. And then what, what use is that to put our, to put our faith, hope, and trust in a creature, um, 
well, if he was, first of all, if he, if he was a creature, then he would be susceptible to um, the the sinful nature of creatures, right? He would be born into sin, uh, but he wasn't. He was not born into sin. He was born sinless, flawless, perfect, right? And that's in and. and and because he was born as such, because he is God, uh, that is why we can put our faith, hope, and trust in him because he's the only one who is able to save us, right? He was the only one who was worthy to die for the sins of his people. And so the um, the reformers, obviously, in their confessions are affirming this, that he, that Christ uh, is uh, eternal and has been eternal with the Father, as it says, uh, co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, um, the express image of his person and the brightness of his glory. So now this is in uh, Hebrews chapter three, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter one, verse three. And I'm going to go there again, because I think it's going to be uh, good for us to read this together. Uh, it says, uh, he, speaking of Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So um, that's what, uh, that's what the confession is quoting that verse right there. Uh, And then I thought of, uh, let's see, is the, does the confession mention? It doesn't. So actually I want to go to uh, Colossians here. And in verse one of Colossians, verse 15, um, it says that he, again, speaking of Christ, it's talking about the preeminence of Christ. And it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Uh, and so, um, the term firstborn there, I, I, I wanted to point that out because I think that's something that's important to talk about. Cause this is another place that people will sometimes use false teachers. Uh, you know, liberal theologians will try to use this as well and say, Oh, well, see, is the firstborn of all creation. So again, this idea that Christ was created, um, And, uh, I want to give some attention to that because that, again, that term firstborn, you know, I'm reminded, uh, of, um, princess bride where he says, uh, you know, I do not think that means what you think it means. Right. I do not think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) It's the same thing here when it's talking about Jesus being the first. So, okay. First of all, let's clear the air that Paul is obviously not saying that, that, uh, Jesus was the first created being, um, the, we have to go back to the old Testament. So in the old Testament, a firstborn son was the primary principal heir of, of an estate. Right. And so, um, I mean, even for David, you know, that the term was used metaphorically to express, you know, the, the preeminence of, of David and his, and his dynasty among the Kings. Um, but when it's used of Christ, the term firstborn ascribes to him, to, to Jesus, uh, supremacy and, and honor and dignity, right? He, he is, 
well, Jesus is the greater David, right? And he, he's the, the, the father's, he, he's God, the father's principal, you know, preeminent heir, right? He, he's Christ is especially loved by the father and all things were created, uh, in him, by him, for him. Right. Um, as it goes on to say there in, in verse 16 of, um, Colossians one, but, um, so this idea that Jesus is the firstborn doesn't mean that he's literally the first creation in all of creation, like God, the father, before he created things, decided I'm going to create Jesus, my son. No, no. What it means is that he, again, he's, we go back to this idea of he is uniquely God's son. We come back to that idea of begotten, right? He is uniquely God's son. He he was not created, but he is the, the principal primary heir of all things, right? And so we are co-heirs, as I mentioned before, co-heirs with Christ, but only in the sense that we we are that through adoption and we are adopted through Christ. So hopefully that makes sense. Moving on with the confession here, it says that, um, it says he is the son of God, not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as these testimonies, when compared together, teach us. Moses says that God created the world. Okay. And then John says that all things, obviously this is coming from John uh, 1, 1, Gospel of John, uh, that all things were made by that word, which he calls God. So reference for that, uh, John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3. Um, and then he says, and the apostle, speaking of Paul, says that God made the worlds by his son. That comes from Hebrews 1, uh, cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 2. A uh, quick note there. So um, people are going to say, oh, well, wait a minute. Hold on. I think I've talked about this before, but as a side note, uh, was Hebrews that, uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, right? Because it doesn't say there's Hebrews isn't attributed to anybody. Um, well, during the time of the, uh, reformers, it was widely held that Paul, again, they were, they referred to Paul as the apostle a lot. And then, you know, when we're talking about the book of Hebrews, um, Again, they're referring to the apostle. They, it was widely held at that time that Paul was the writer of Hebrews. Uh, but obviously, you know, they don't know for hundred percent sure because, uh, of course, Paul, uh, excuse me, Hebrews does not attribute an author, but that's just as a side note while I'm thinking about it here. So, um, God made the worlds by his son. That's from Hebrews. As I said, chapter one, verse two, uh, likewise, that God created all things by Jesus. So in Colossians 1.16, as I just mentioned, uh, that's what's being mentioned here in the confession. Therefore, it must follow. So having said all of that, right, and we've kind of, we've just quoted all of this scripture and talked about this idea that Jesus is uh, eternal And so it says, therefore, it must follow that he who is called God, the word, the son, and Jesus Christ did exist 
at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore, the prophet Micah says his goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So that's from um, Micah chapter five, uh, verse two. And so Old Testament reference uh, to the the eternal being of uh, of the Godhead, right? The the eternal eternity, uh, the everlastingness of the Godhead, and the apostle. Again, this comes from Hebrews chapter seven, verse three. It says, uh, and the apostle says. Uh, he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. So again, this is just scripture reference over and over uh, to just testifying to the eternality of Christ. Um, and then he finishes up the confession saying, um, he finishes up article 10 uh, saying, uh, he therefore is that true eternal and almighty God whom we invoke worship and whom we invoke, worship, and serve. Right? And so, uh, Debray in this article, obviously saying at the end here that Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is true God, right? So, we've talked about the the Trinity. We've looked at proof texts in the past couple of articles. Now he's focusing on the deity of that person of the Godhead that is the Son. All right. And so Jesus is eternal God. He is deity. He is worthy of our worship. Uh, he is worthy of our service. And so um, all you heretics need to get your theology right. That's what, that's what he's saying. So uh, he's very much so rebuking uh, any any question of the deity of Christ, obviously. So um, that's it. That's, that's, that's going to do it for this article and for this episode of Full Armor Radio. Really appreciate you tuning in and listening. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can do so. Full Armor Radio at iCloud.com. Please visit the website fullarmorradio.org. And until next time, God bless.